So, Berto, I have a bunch of emails from patrons that I thought we would read, and we would answer their questions. What do you say, Berto? Sounds like a fabulous idea. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Berto? My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I'm an AstroTurf landscaping technician. So, anonymous patron, she writes, While I was in a committed relationship, she has a question about, a question about cheating. Uh, While I was in a committed relationship, I began talking to another man online. I noticed that I was looking forward to his messages. After about a month, I began to drop hints in our conversations that I was attracted to him. And I broke up with my boyfriend soon after that, and I started a relationship with that online guy. Is what I did considered cheating? I have a history of cheating on boyfriends in past relationships. I feel like I did the right thing this time around, and I don't want to be seen as someone who cheats. Is what I did considered cheating? Berto, what do you think? So the timing is, that, so she was in a relationship. And she was flirting with a guy online. Yeah, but then she didn't, she still ended the relationship before. But the flirt, okay, so the question is, is the flirting count as the cheating? Online flirting that, in, and well, it, it, with someone consistently over time. You know, she wasn't just flirting with yeah. a bunch of people. She was flirting with one particular yeah. guy. I, I, I still feel like this is the right way to do it. So look, you are sometimes going to find someone new. And like, you kind of can't have one without the other. In other words, imagine you go to the party and you meet someone. You have a good conversation. and It's a little flirty. Do you in that moment go, oh God, I've cheated. I'm ending my relationship. Honey, we have to end our relationship. I cheated. Of course not. But then where does that line drop? Well, then you say, well, I'll never talk to this person again. Maybe, but what if you're like, like the conversation. So then you talk again and then you realize that you're talking, you're texting. Now it is flirting and it's, it's happening. And then you have a decision to make. Do you like keep going surreptitiously? Do you like actually go on to a full fledged affair or do you realize that, okay, this is really happening. And then you make a decision that I'm not happy in my current relationship. This is seeming really interesting. So I'm going to end my current relationship and move on to this other thing. I think that's the right way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. The The part of uh, the other sort of angle to this, which is sort of in opposition to what you're saying, but I'm not saying I completely agree with it, is that cheating by its definition is having a relationship with someone else or doing something with someone else that would knowingly hurt, hurt your partner if they found out. If yeah. your partner found out, your past partner found out that you were having an ongoing flirt with someone. And, you know, Berto's Berto story condensed it down pretty far. If you were flirting with someone online for, you know, a couple months, knowing that you were flirting, yeah, uh, you know, is that cheating? Well, I, I think that it's possible that if your partner heard about it, they would, they'd be hurt. Um, now, there are some situations where we would allow that to happen. Like if you're partner had very unreasonable expectations on you where you can't talk to anyone of the opposite sex or you can't talk to anyone that you could potentially be attracted to. And that makes them very jealous when you just talk to a coworker. Well, that's not cheating because that's just normal human behavior to talk with someone at work. So, you know, there's a lot of nuances here, but, but it, technically speaking, yes, it was cheating. You, you were doing something that your partner would have been hurt by. Uh, and and if your partner had done it to you, you probably would have been hurt by that too. Now, on the scale of things, it was pretty small. And as Berto was saying, you took appropriate action. I don't know how quick, but you decided, oh, you know, if, I don't know if this was what precipitated the, the breakup, but you're like, okay, I, I'm going to break up now. I mean, certainly we could imagine worse things happening, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess maybe that's the other way to look at it is, there's, there's probably only two main categories for the breakup happening, for a breakup happening. And I know I'm super simplifying, but one category is uh, independent of another human, you decide you don't want to be in that relationship. So then you, you leave the relationship. And then the other major category is because of another human, you decide to leave the relationship. So if we leave the first category alone, because in this case, and when we look at the second category, what is the version of that category that causes the least amount of pain? And I think this is it. Because certainly you can't have that second category 
out of the blue, not even talking, right? You can't be like walking down with your significant other and you don't even see, but you sense that there's someone and you're like, oh, we're breaking up. I'm going with that other person that I haven't even seen. That's ridiculous. You obviously had had to have interactions, probably really good ones over time. But the question is, did you have like, yeah, was it for years? Did you have sex? Did you have all these other things? Did you like, uh, that is the difference. I think, uh, I don't know how long this lasted, but in the, in the realm of you, you want to break up because of another human being, this is probably the least amount of pain. It's like, yeah, I'm hurt because you texted, but I guess that's better than a lot of the alternatives I could have imagined. Yeah, absolutely. It's better than the alternatives. But a- another angle to this is how aware is this person of their feelings toward their current partner? And might they have, if they had awareness, would they have noticed months prior that they weren't into the relationship enough such that they were susceptible to flirting with another person online? Right. Um, they go on with the quest, the, the email here. I'm trying to make an effort into understanding my own feelings before jumping into any new relationship so that I will not continue to fall into cycles of cheating on a partner since I have a problem with this in my past. Your thoughts on my situation would be greatly appreciated. So what I have to say to this is, you know, obviously go to therapy and explore the precursors to cheating because I'm guessing that if you have a pattern of cheating and perhaps in previous relationships it was to a higher degree, then you, you want to figure out what's going on there. Is it just complete lack of awareness in, in terms of your own ability to evaluate how committed you are to someone? Is it intimidation by other people? Is it passivity that makes you want to be in a relationship uh, outwardly, but inwardly you're actually not in it? Other reasons for specifically for cheating, though, are passive aggression. There are a lot of people who suffer from passive aggressive personality disorder. Um, I've, I've treated lots of people. I have lots of people who have emailed me about this, who suffer from this, who because they were abused growing up, they couldn't express their hostility or their anger or their assertiveness. And so they come across as extremely nice. In fact, they might come across as the nicest people on the planet, but underneath it all is extreme anger and extreme hostility and extreme resentment, and it'll sneak out in behaviors like cheating. And when you're in a relationship with someone uh, romantically, you're going to have anger towards them occasionally. And if you can't express that in any healthy way, then it risks coming out in the form of cheating, which is a obvious way of expressing hostility, at least passively, to your partner. It's like, I'm going to get back at you by cheating on you. Um, Also, some people are anxious about breaking up, and they will stay in a relationship longer than they want to because they're just afraid of the disapproval involved in breaking up. Substance abuse can also cause a lot of cheating. Self-punishment also. Some people are actually punitive to the self and will cheat as a way of punishing themselves. I've, I've actually treated people like that. And there's also impaired empathy. There are plenty of people who, for various reasons, just have a hard time uh, knowing what it's like for other people to be hurt. Um, I've treated people like that too who will cheat or do other kinds of things and just have a vibe that just doesn't include other people in their minds. They they don't think about what impact it actually has on other people. They're They're more of a childish sense of like what they're entitled to you know what i mean um so now anonymous patron i have no idea about you it sounds like you care about people and it sounds like you did the right thing and it sounds like on the innocent side of cheating but let's not make a mistake that in any relationship if you're flirting with someone online while you're in a committed relationship and that committed relationship involves not doing things like that, then you're technically cheating. Yeah. And let's not tiptoe around that. And as a therapist, I actually hate it when other therapists will make excuses for things like that. You know, when, when it's their client and the client comes to them and say, you know, so is it cheating that I this? And the therapist, because they want to be nice to the client or something like, no, it's fine. You know, you didn't like your partner anymore. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, it's still lying. It's still right. knowingly do, doing something that's going to harm another person. Now, now we don't want to shame people per se. I mean, there's all sorts of circumstances that people are in. But as an industry, I find that my industry is is just comp- like it, amoral when it comes to these sorts of things. You know, if you had a client that came in and said, 
I'm having a hard time dating and trusting people because my previous partner cheated with me, cheated with someone while they were online. Um, you know, for like five months, they were. I found I found their phone, and they had been flirting with someone for five months, and and it. I thought this person loved me, and I thought this person cared about me. I thought this person respected me, and all the while behind my back, they were cheating, and who knows what else they were doing. And I have a hard time cheating. Well, if you if a therapist heard a, th- a client say that you would think that this person who cheated, you would be like, you know, how dare you? Right. Look, look what you did to my client. So, you know, let's not make excuses for even ourselves when we do things that are dishonest and knowingly potentially harmful to another human being. It's not okay. We all understand that in kindergarten, we're taught not to lie and lying by omission is lying. Now, there are circumstances that will lead to this and, we don't want to shame ourselves into a grave <laughs> by any means. Every everyone does this, by the way. But let's not let's not make excuses for it. It is what it is, and you're and you, an honest patron, are trying to explore that, and you have been, and that's great. And it, it it'll benefit you mostly to to explore this, and also your potential partners. Yep. Um, an honest patron says, "I have a friend. She keeps reaching out and wants to chat with me." And we set up a time to talk, and she frequently forgets about our times to talk. Or she wants to push it 30 minutes into the future, which she does several times a day. I sort of want to get rid of her, but I don't know how. Not sure how to deal with this personality type. I'm pretty frustrated and irritable about the whole interaction. Berto, what do you think? Oh, man, I can relate from the other side. I mean, not not exactly, but as you know, I... Uh, I've gotten so much better. Okay, so first of all, I notoriously struggled with being on time to places and um, also sort of like last minute changes of plans and things like that. I don't know exactly. uh, Oh, no, I do know, I guess. We've sorted this out before because I always thought, well, I don't get it. My dad was always super punctual and always drilling it into my head how punctual we have to be. but then my other side of my family was so not punctual, so over the top not punctual. <laughs> but so, uh, now as far as like the the side that I do have a low empathy because I was the offender, is like I never meant to cause any harm. You know, I was I was never like, ha you know, lie to this person, tell them I want to get together and then not get together. <laughs> It was always like, yeah, yeah, totally, I want to do that. And then, um, but, you know, then my my inefficiencies caught up with me. And then I'm like, oh, man, uh, okay, so I need to be there in 20 minutes. Okay, well, great. It takes uh, 15 minutes to drive. Okay, I'll leave 10 minutes after. I'll be there as soon as I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, shoot. So there was a time where I was going to a birthday party. And I couldn't find the place and it kept getting later and later. And it got so late that I eventually just didn't go. And I never talked to that person again. It was <laughs> it was not like one of my best friends or something. But it was a, a co-worker. And they had invited me and a few other people. And I just felt so embarrassed that I just couldn't, I couldn't bring it up. And we just, you know, we never interacted again after that. Yeah, well, so I'll tell you, Berto, that I obviously... My, our lives have been intertwined for, uh, I don't know, what, 16 years now or something, yeah. and a long time. And we are in so many projects together. You know, we're in bands together, podcasts together, yeah. party together, you know, do events together. And I experience this for sure. But, I, so I'll, but I'm just going to talk about recently. So with the podcast, you're generally on time. Um you or your you'll text me you know, five minutes before and you'd be like yeah. oh my god this thing happened oh you know and you'll be like five or ten minutes late or something yeah. and that i very much appreciate uh, i i think when it comes to work which i think the podcast kind of resides in your mind as you actually manage it pretty yeah. well yeah uh but <laughs> i don't you know before the lockdown do you remember uh you know, we call her Medium Jen, our friend. Um, her birthday party. Uh, uh, it was at yes. it was at the French restaurant in yes, Ballard. Yes, yes, yes. 
um, so I knew you were going to be there. And I, uh, me and Stacy show up and on time, you know, we're, we're right on time or maybe a little bit late. I'm not sure, but, but, you know, we're some of the earliest couples there. And I knew that you were invited, but I was like, okay, there is a 50% chance that he shows up an hour and 45 minutes late. And there's a, there's another 50% chance that he just, just doesn't even show. Right. You know, that, and, and lo and behold, I was way late. Way late. I'm trying and, to and I was why. And and then I left maybe like I don't know like twenty minutes after you arrived. Yeah, because I, I was because because it was like, <laughs> but I knew that and I I didn't I didn't yeah. uh, lament it. I didn't. I I expected it. Uh, yeah. I didn't. I wasn't waiting around for you, <laughs> um, but I just knew it. You know, and and I knew that would happen, and it did. Um, it it at your own birthday when we went to see Neil Gaiman. Yes. You were super late to your own birthday. Uh, right. So I showed up, I, I showed up a little late actually to, yeah. what is it, Wild Ginger or something, the restaurant yeah, yeah, yeah. By, by Ben Arroyo. Wild Ginger, yes. And everyone's there and and I just knew, you know, but Birdo's always late. <laughs> and and you, 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 array, you arrived, oh so we God. are all meeting up, we are all going to Neil Gaiman, this author, if you don't know, he's a one man, he's giving a, a talk at Ben Arroyo you know, thousand people in the audience kind of a thing. Yeah. And we're all going to meet up for dinner and drinks beforehand, which obviously is the birthday portion of the birthday get together for, for Umberto's birthday, <laughs> uh, going to a show and standing and watching at a, at a stage guy talk isn't very birthday celebratory, you know? Right. So the birthday party was at this restaurant beforehand. Berto showed up like 23 minutes before. I don't, maybe even shorter than that. Like maybe it was, uh, maybe I'm exaggerating, but anyway, but it, it was, was late. It was real late. Now um, I think I know why. In at fact, least I think one of those did, two. Did you arrive and then leave and then come back? There was some uh, other thing like that. I anyway, don't know. but I, I think I know why in one of those two, and that one was a good reason. But I can't remember the other one. <laughs> but it, it's uh, always it's always that way, and so you've you've clearly not fallen fall from that apple tree when it comes to this your, is true. your mom's side of the family. Um. But anyway, so anonymous patrons like uh, this person really hurts my feelings, and I want to get rid of her, but I don't know how. Uh, what do I do, Berto? What do you think? Man, okay, that's fair. So, I, I guess the the part that I have experienced from the flip side is, um, I, I actually have a, a person in my life that I did stop inviting to things. But not because so much of the, like my problem where they wouldn't show up on time. It was, um, they would be very conflictive at events. And so I had to basically, but I admittedly, I didn't have a a conversation with the person. I wasn't like, hey, FYI, I'm not inviting you to stuff anymore. I just stopped inviting. I I guess what I would say. Do I know this person? uh, Yes. Yes, you do. (laughs) Oh, but not, not a core individual. No, but yeah, I'll tell okay. you later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, but but the but the point is that I think in this case it is important to say something because clearly it's hurting you. Um it's it's just the only thing is I wouldn't like I said, I wouldn't necessarily assume that it's being done uh maliciously. So maybe it's more about, you know, laying your boundary like um you know, it, it actually really hurts me. It affects me because I, I do this and then you do this. And, you know, you, you have your reasons. I just want you to know. And so I, I can't keep doing that. And then if, and it's up to you if you want to put the ball in their court and see if there's a recovery from there or if you're, if you're just leaving it there. Uh, but I do think it's, it's an important step to take. Uh, I've had to take uh, important steps like that as I've matured and it's been very hard for me because drawing boundaries has been hard for me to do in my life. Yeah. The short answer I'll say is on one hand, you only live life once and don't waste it dealing with people like this. So if they make you feel bad and you have other friends, then just drop it like a ton of rocks because uh, you only live life once. And, you know, I know people who 30 years later are just like, why am I still in this situation? (laughs) And do you really want to waste 30 years of your life dealing with something, 30 precious years of your life? But on the other hand, um, I learned, and Berto taught me this lesson, that all friends are annoying in at least one way. 
And sometimes you just have to deal with it because if every annoying thing about a friend meant rejection time, you wouldn't have any friends. So I don't know what worth this friend has, but if, if, the, per, if the friend has worth, then sometimes, you know, you just, it's not nice and it's unpleasant and it hurts, but all friends are going to have something that's going to bug you. All right, another question here, anonymous patron, they write, my ex-girlfriend broke up with me about a month ago. She has complex PTSD and suffers a lot. Even though she broke up with me, I still feel a sense of obligation to make her feel loved and cared for, even though we've broken up. Because I'm still a little in denial over the breakup, but also because she deserves to know that someone out there cares about her and she doesn't have a lot of people. We still talk daily, and sometimes I find myself wondering if she's going to choose to get back together with me. How do I stay connected with her and help her without falling into delusions about her rescinding the breakup? I don't want to lose the, this connection because I really care about her. Berto, what do you think? Oh, that's a tough spot. That's a tough spot because inevitably you're going to feel you're going to feel mixed feelings, mixed messages in this. Um I I personally feel that uh if your goal is actually to remain connected, you may need to give it some space so that you can stay connected in the long term. Because I think you risk in the short term if by trying to stay too connected in the short term making it so potentially the other person, maybe even you, but potentially the other person wants an even cleaner break. So I would tread with caution. Yeah, I agree. On one hand, it's great that you care and breakups are messy and that's okay. And breakups don't always have to be quote unquote clean breaks. And friendship after breakups can be wonderful. And it's great that you care and you're trying to help. And it might be overall a good thing that you're there for her and that you have a friendship. On the other hand, you might be harming yourself by staying connected and remaining in limbo. So you just have to balance out those things. All right. Another anonymous patron says, he writes, I recently have felt distant from my girlfriend after being quite in love with her. So I feel distant now, but previously I was quite in love with her. This might be called falling out of love. Do people fall back in love? How can I rekindle my feelings if this is even possible? Berto, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I believe so. Like, um, what is love? So, love is in the moment, right? We all our life is moments. You don't get to live in the past or the future. You just live in the current moments. If in the current moments you're just not feeling it, you can try to fake it, and that might actually be helpful to some extent. But it's not inside. You'll know how you're feeling. But that also means that at different moments, you may feel differently. If there were things to begin with that you shared, that you enjoyed, uh, that's not necessarily something that couldn't come back or, or you know, a foundation that you couldn't rebuild upon. On the other hand, there's no guarantees. Like, so one question I would have, you know, definitely, what is, what is it that you feel has gone missing? Uh, do you feel, is it, is it more on your side? Is it more on, on their side? Um, and that might give clues as to whether or not there are chances. And then another another question I'd ask is, um, how long has this been going on? And do you feel like it, which trend do you feel it's going in? Is it going towards like every day that passes, you're more and more unsure, you want to be less and less in this relationship? Or does it waver? Some days you're like, really? I, I've certainly been in relationships where I have had, you know, the extremes and... Um, I've gone back and forth. So I do believe that you can fall back in love. But there are times where things changed so much that it's not going to be possible. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I could talk for a long time about this, but in a very short answer, what I'll say is, you know, how do I rekindle my feelings? How do you, how do you rekindle love? And a common way is m mutual vulnerability and listening to each other. So... The two of you being vulnerable and really listening to each other. If there's a chance for love, usually that's where it grows. Anonymous patron says, I have a friend who I care about deeply, but I feel like our friendship is extremely unhealthy. A lot of people say that she belittles me and she bosses me around. I hate, I hate conflict, by the way. 
Whenever I try to create some distance between her and I, or take a breather from her, as I say, she accuses me of not being a good friend. If I raise issues with our friendship, she gets extremely defensive. I know she has attachment issues, and I know she is scared to lose me. I don't want to lose our friendship either, as we have great memories together. But my mental health is deteriorating over the constant anxiety of not being a good enough friend for her. To others, the obvious choice seems to simply drop her, but I want to be as loving, genuine, and understanding as possible while still keeping my shaky self-esteem intact. Any advice is greatly appreciated. Berto, what do you think? I have certainly experienced um, people in my life uh, saying things to me that I didn't like, things that were mean, things that were uh, where they were making fun. or, or And, uh, you know, I think as I've grown up, I've developed a lot of immunities to these things. But honestly, certainly as I've grown up, the more these people do it, the less I want to spend time with them. Uh, I have a friend that I actually am sort of no longer friends with. And what was interesting is whenever it was just the two of us, we got along really well, generally. And then whenever there were three or maybe more, all of a sudden he would start, you know, like using me as the butt of a lot of jokes and or just saying more mean things. And over time, I, I noticed the pattern, and I and I, I did bring it up a few times. I'm like, yeah, what's what's the deal here? Um, but I always kind of wrote it off like, ah, that's just him being that way. But it did hurt, you know. It's like, why 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 are you changing the way we we are just because there's another person here? Uh, I think that's not an uncommon pattern, by the way. When I wonder if that's the case with you, where when there it's just the two of you, maybe it's more even, but then. Yeah, you you have you have at least two friends that do that to you, by the way, that I know of. <laughs> oh yeah, but there's but there's more people that I know that that are that way. You have at least two friends that will make fun of you in crowds because you're such a amiable person. But I think you're missing my point. I'm saying I have more than two acquaintances that are that way. With you? Yeah. Yeah. It's just that I choose not to spend time with those people. Yeah. Because it's one thing for me to be at the party and they say something like mean or abusive and I just let it roll off me because I frankly don't care and I've, I have a pretty thick skin. But it's another thing for me to want to keep doing that day in and day out. Yeah. So if that person is going to be like that, I'm like, well, I don't want to hang out. Unfortunately, I have brought along with me uh, a few individuals from when I was younger and only now in my more later years have I started to be able to draw boundaries. Absolutely. Uh, so for me, the what the patron is saying uh, touches a sore spot. I would say be very gentle and careful with yourself. Learn how to draw that boundary. And no, it's not okay for them to be putting you down and making you feel bad. Yeah. Yeah, similar answer that I had before. You know, on one hand, all friendships have issues. And so uh, maybe getting support and asserting your needs to change the friendship to your liking might be in order. You know, just really putting your foot down and saying, I know that... I've said things like I want to take a breather and then you strike back at me. But I, if this relationship is going to continue, then you you got to deal with that stuff. Because if, if you're going to react to me in this way, I don't know if I want to be in this friendship anymore. Yep. Um, you know, Berto, you and I actually have a mutual friend and he might even be listening right now. Um, he, he's he's a, you know, a, really a dear friend for you and me. And... Uh, he would ridicule me sometimes for not knowing a particular band. You know? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I would secretly take yeah. it, and I think he just thought it was just a way of r- ribbing each other a little bit. And then I, I was harboring hurt around that, you know, just a little bit over time. And then one day, we are at this show, and, you know, I had a couple drinks, and I just, I just... He did it again, and I was just like, you always do that. Will you not? And I laid it all out because I had yeah. it all kind of, pra- not practice, but kind of, <laughs> kind of rolling around in my head. And he stopped. He hasn't done it yeah. since, and we've even talked about it subsequently. He's just like, yeah, I remember when you nice. said that thing. And, and he, he was like, yeah, I, I didn't know I did that, he said, and, and he changed. And so nice. uh, uh, you're welcome, Berto. <laughs> um, and 
So, you know, really letting someone have it and just because they don't want to lose you either. And maybe they just don't know. And uh, putting your foot down uh, is a good thing. And if someone puts a foot down with you, then you listen to it. On the other hand, like I was saying, life is too short. And why waste it on people that abuse you, essentially? Yeah. So that's just another thought I have. Um, okay, final thought here, Berto, at the end. Um, have we taken a break yet? I don't think we have. I don't think we did. Let's take a break. Okay, Berto, we're back from the break. Um, I have a bunch of things I want to go over with you. A list, if you will. Ooh. I got this article third from Odyssey, the website. 32 things you know when you are a Colombian. Hmm. Um, empanadas con ají are glorious. <laughs> empanadas con ají son, son exquisitas. So is that something that you would agree with that all oh. Colombians feel? Sí, very much so. For you, nothing compares to Colombian coffee. Is that true? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm not a big coffee drinker. And when I was growing up, in my house, they used Folgers coffee. <laughs> so I'm like the worst to ask. But I will say, when I go to Manizales, uh, where it's full coffee region, the coffee there really is glorious. Uh, here's another one. When you die, inside, you die inside, when someone spells Columbia instead of Colombia. Colombia with a U? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, because Colón, Cristóbal Colón, Colón ends with an N and we have an M. So we're already, <laughs> we're already doing weird stuff. And then Colombia is with a U here. Um, so Colombia jackets, you know, they misspell it. <laughs> Uh, you put el queso inside of the chocolate. You put el queso inside of the chocolate. El queso en el chocolate con pancito. Uy, qué rico. Absolutely. You got so, the super double cream cheese and you dip it. You don't even dip it. You just drop it into your hot chocolate. And the hot chocolate melts it and it's all you know, melty and stringy. And you also put your bread and you dip your bread and you eat the bread with the soaky chocolate goodness. Calao yeah. is like also another thing. It's like super hard bread that you put in. In your opinion, nothing beats Sabados Felices. Sabados Felices. Woo! Yeah, man. That was like, you know, Saturday Night Live. It oh, was okay. a comedy show and it was great. Okay. Uh, you love Chivas. Chivas. Um, no, I mean, I, I grew up in the middle of Bogota, you know, so uh, I was a little more suburban, I guess, but uh, everyone does know and love them in the out, outskirts. You know, the uh, shelves behind me, I, when yeah, I, Chiva. yeah, I bought a little Chiva as a, that's my, my yeah. little piece of Colombia. Uh, when La Seccion plays, La Selección, La Selección. When, uh, plays. It's their time. It's time to wear your jersey. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, I think I'm the only Colombian that's not watching like, soccer. Ridiculous... Now, listen, I, I love, I actually love soccer, like watching it. I don't, just like every other sport. Like there's many sports I like and I just don't. Like I watch the Super Bowl, you know, kind of thing. I love basketball. I don't watch all the basketball games. I do love me a great Mundial, you know, like a great World Cup game. A Selección Colombia, like, sure. And, and when they're good, I watch them in the World Cup. But no, like what would happen when I would go to my grandma's house, the one you were at, is yes, when there were games, everyone in the house was watching them, my uncle, my grandpa. I would watch a little bit of it. That's weird. They, they, like that, all that pressure around you to, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's such a monoculture when it comes to soccer that... But, it's so weird that you're not into it. I mean, this has been the, the theme for me since I was a kid is anytime there's a, a clique, a group, some, I don't like it for some reason. Yeah, it's weird. And, and so I always feel like, I don't know. You're, you're the party pooper. You're a wallflower in the, in the corner secretly yes. judging everyone for their <laughs> cult-like activities. Yes. Um, it's not a party until someone opens El Guaro. El Guaro? Uh, yeah, Aguardiente. Yeah, Aguardiente, Guaro. When I was a kid, we just called it Aguardiente, but I guess El Guaro is the... I'm sure that's an old term. Yeah. 
and it's, it's true. definitely when, not when a party till my grandpa shoves it in my face. Yeah, yeah. So Berto's grandfather would be, um, it'd be like middle of the afternoon, and he'd come around the corner with shot glasses uh, for me and Berto to, if we're and for himself to <laughs> partake in a guardiente. And, and a guardiente is. It's straight liquor, right? I mean, it's it's sugar cane uh, is the it's like, base, and it's, it's got anise licorice. Yeah, so it tastes like Goldschlager or but like mild, like a mild version of. Yeah, maybe it's yeah. a little milder, but it's still it's still it's not like wine. You know what I mean? Oh it, no, no, no. Yeah, and it's got good alcohol. I, I just mean like Goldschlager's got a very strong taste. Oh, this this one's not as um, strong yeah. in terms. Yeah, of to the me licorice. it was like it was like slightly licoricey vodka. Yeah, and yeah. And so, uh, it's aguardientico. aguardientico. (laughs) And, and me and Berto were just like, uh, it's like 1230. (laughs) And, you know, and so me and Berto were just kind of like, that's okay. But he, but he just kept at it and he has such a nice smile. (laughs) And so, uh, okay, I guess that's what I'm doing now. And he has short term memory. So he thinks it's the first shot of the day. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, so another oh, website, 24 signs. If your mother calls your name, you certainly don't answer K. No. What? No, no, no. Because that's, you, that's like yeah. very impolite to say what? Yeah, definitely. Because it'd be like, Umbertico, K. Oh, oof. Ah. Did I see? Oh, you know, like it'd be, oh, okay. it has to, C would be okay. C or oh, okay. Like I'm going. What is like the the child version of just like, what do you want? You know, that kind of thing. Uh you are familiar with Pony Malta, Biba de mm. Campeones, the Bebida de Campeones, see, sí. Pony Malta. So Pony Malta is like it's sort of like root beer, but it doesn't taste like root beer much at all. <laughs> but it's it's similar as in it is derived from you know, everywhere like at the brewery. Uh, it's a non-alcoholic, barley-based drink that's dark. It has this very nice taste that I love. Um, and as a kid, yeah, that was a delicious drink to have. You know how to dance. Yep, I know how to dance. I I got a little short-circuited on my salsa lessons because I left when I was 15. I'm really good at merengue, and I'm decent at salsa. Uh, you danced until dawn and got drunk in one of the many carnivals and festivals of the country. I was a little too young for that when I left. Well, no, actually many people are not, but I didn't live in the city that would have had that. I also didn't have the money to travel with you know people. However, I definitely have done that at many clubs in Bogota. If you are invited to a friend's or family reunion, you will be there at least half an hour late. <laughs> yes, like... As we said, <laughs> true. Uh, but see, well, you see, you see, that's a cultural thing, apparently. <laughs> in your in your childhood, it wasn't Santa bringing you presents. Nope, it, it was baby Dios. Jesus himself, little Niño Dios, the Niño Dios. So it's not even baby Jesus; it's the little boy Jesus, Niño Dios. Yeah. And the you, way it was is it was at midnight. Your you would, every kid stayed up till midnight. Apparently, you would go up to your room. And check your pillow, and your pillow was like huge because they would stuff all the gifts. I mean, baby Jesus would stuff all the gifts under the pillow. Yeah, you remember the devil's nose with affection. The devil's nose. La nariz del diablo. Uh, in Colombia, family road trips on the curved roads are a big tradition. So, uh, if you've ever been to Melgar near Bogota, ah, Melgar, yes, yes, okay, okay, okay. La na- nariz, La nariz del diablo. Del diablo. Yeah, I, I, I remember now. I see that I only went to Melgar like maybe two times when I was a kid. One time with my dad, and but now this sounds familiar. So I'm clearly not as well versed in the nose of the devil. Uh, you proudly wear and display a sombrero volteado <laughs> when you're when you live in a foreign country. I don't because I don't wear any hats whatsoever. But if I did. I probably would. <laughs> you get goosebumps and cry when singing Soy Com- Colombiano. Um, no, uh, I do get goosebumps. The, the national anthem is beautiful. I know everyone says, oh, our national anthem. No, the Colombian national anthem, 
it's really pretty. And um, there's another, there's a few songs from there that I get goosebumps and I cry about. So here's mine for Japanese American. I'm just going to rattle through these here. Um, you know, you're Japanese American when you know that camp doesn't mean a cabin in the woods. So do you know what this refers to, Berto? <laughs> camp? Yeah. No. So internment camp. Oh, geez. I was laughing. Sorry. <laughs> so we, so we reduce, Dark. we reduce camp to internment camp, just to camp. That's what we call yeah, it. I see. Uh, the men in your family were gardeners, farmers, produce workers, or plantation workers. <laughs> so not my, my family, but my dad's parents and yeah. aunts and uncles, they all, yeah, were, in fact, uh, I didn't know this association that Japanese people were gardeners and farmers that uh, when I worked at, I was a teenager and I was a landscaper at a old folks home in Seattle or in, in Sammamish, Issaquah, where I grew up. And I was just a lowly 16 year old peon worker that would, hmm. you know, weed the gardens and would do the mowing of the lawn and rake and stuff. And this old lady comes out and there's a whole crew of like, I don't know, like seven of us. And this old lady comes out and says, young man. And I'm like, what? And she's like, I want you to be my personal gardener. And I'm like, how much are you going to pay? And she's, you know, it was some high amount. It was like, yeah. you know, for $50 a weekend, come to my house and, and be my personal gardener. And I was just like, <laughs> what? I'm looking around because my other co all my other coworkers were more experienced, way more. I mean, <laughs> my other coworkers have been doing landscaping for decades, you know? Oh my God. And I'm like, <laughs> why me? You know? And so I do it. And then I, and everyone's kind of boggled. And then I go home and I tell my dad, he's like, oh, well, she's being prejudiced because you're Japanese. <laughs> that, you know, when I grew up, you know, her generation sees us as, as, as gardeners. They don't see right. us anything else. It's just like we're automatically good at gardening because, you know, right. I, was like, I was like, well, I'll take the money. Like now with, with Mexican people, it, right. you know, the automatic assumption is that. Right. Uh, the women in your family were seamstresses, domestic workers, or farm laborers. No, that's not really true. Your Issei grandparents had an arranged marriage. So that would have been my great grandparents mm -hmm. had an arranged marriage. Um, and yeah, they did. Uh, your Nisei relatives, so this would have been my grandparents, uh, were all named Tack, Tad, George, Harry, and Shig. So I have, so my grandpa, his name was George. <laughs> oh, so like they picked these standard names? Yeah. So Tack, which I don't know where that comes from, Tad, George, Harry, and Shig. So Shig <laughs> is short for Shigeru. Uh, but George is uh, my grandpa's name. Harry is Mandy's grandpa's name. You know, oh, my cousin yeah. Mandy. So George's, George and Harry were brothers. And then I have an uncle Shig. <laughs> wow. Your Nisei relatives would be Keiko, Aiko, Sumi, and Mary. And yes, I have an, I have an auntie Aiko, I have an auntie Sumi, and I have an auntie Mary. Your Sansei, uh, if your Sansei and your name, so this would be my my parents' generation. Uh, these women are named Janet, Jean, Carol, and Nancy, and you know my auntie Carol. Right. That's funny. <laughs> I definitely have an auntie Janet and an auntie Jean. So they um, were basically like a set na set of names that they would pick. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking of naming. It's sort of like with uh, Italian Americans with Polly and Mary and. Um, you're thinking of naming your Yonsei child, so that's my generation, a Japanese middle name. So yeah, this is pretty common to uh, you know give give them give them a white person name, but, uh -huh. but give them a Japanese middle name. You know that that's. Do you have cool. a middle name? I do, but it's what? it's a it's a white. It's, it's What's Joseph. your middle name? Joseph. Kirk Joseph. But I'm a kind of named after my Japanese side in that. Uh, I have a Japanese, my grandmother's brother's name was Joe, Joseph. Okay. My grandmother's middle name was Josephine. So it's kind of a name that was passed down through the Japanese. I see. Um, you have at least one bag of sembe in the house at all times, which is true. So sembe is rice crackers. Oh. So a little thing on sembe. So um, it's, pro it's, it's pronounced sembe. Sembe. Yeah. But in my family, we called it Simbe. Simbe. Sim Simbe, not Sembe. Like neither yeah. neither syllable is correct. <laughs> 
And so in my family, it's always Simbat, Simbat. Oh, who's got the Simbat? Oh, you have some Simbat. You know, Simbat was always out. I go to Japan <laughs> at, like 20 years ago and I say all these things, you know, written in English, just Simbat, Simbat. And I'm like, huh, is that another name for Simbat? <laughs> and I'm with my friend who speaks fluent Japanese and he's like, Simbat, Simbat. That's not a word. Simbat is a word. <laughs> but so my great grandparents came over a hundred and 20 years ago uh-huh. and either that's how they pronounced it back then regionally or it got bastardized through 120 years and we now wow. pronounce it simbe you know what i mean so you thought you were that's the correct pronunciation and then yeah. you go- <laughs> here's another sign you know you're japanese american you have a japanese doll in a glass case in your living room mm. um, i have three japanese dolls <laughs> in my living room uh when you leave a Japanese American house, you take leftover food home on a paper plate or a styrofoam tray. Uh, yes. Every <laughs> single time. Have I ever sent have, has, did you, didn't you come to like Thanksgiving once with my family or uh, New Year's? I was at your house day? one time for a big event. I can't yeah. remember what it was. Uh, let's see. might've been post Thanksgiving. Yeah. It might've been a Friday after a Thanksgiving. Okay. Like that. Did we send you home with, uh, Oh, I'm sure you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, so much so that my, uh, family, the older people, they have stacks of those styrofoam takeout, <laughs> takeout, uh, you know, carton things. And, uh, That's my wife, Stacy always like blanches like styrofoam is so bad for the environment, but, um, let's see, you know, someone, who has run for the Nisei queen pageant. Yes. My cousin, Kathy, Oh, uh, you fight fiercely for the check after dinner. Uh, that's definitely <laughs> my fam. Okay. This is this, this one totally blew me away when I read this. Cause this is, I thought this was just my family, but apparently this is a whole Japanese American thing. You've hidden money in the pocket of the person who paid for dinner. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Have you ever heard of this before? No. So, Again, I thought this was a my family thing, but it's a Japanese American thing. So when the check comes, it is no joke, a massive, a massive process, but people will subvert it. And I've done this before. You go to the, you, you get up to go to the bathroom and you approach the waitress or the waiter, you know, far away from the table and you just say, I'm paying Here's my credit card. Oh, interesting. So there's no competition. Okay. But then when, <laughs> and when the check comes, you say, you know, the person says, I took care of it. And everyone's yeah. like, no, right. you can't do that. And, you know, it, long, long. And when I was a kid, I was just like, well, everyone, please just relax. Can we just go home? But there's this long conversations. Oh, yeah. And then what you do is when you're hugging goodbye, you mm-hmm. slip them a 50 in their money. pocket. <laughs> and then when you get home, you're taking oh off your gosh. jacket. And you're like, how did, oh how did $135 get wadded up in my, in my jacket? It's from all the family members, like secretly reverse pickpocketing you. So I have a memory of going to a Japanese restaurant with you and your brothers and your parents. Uh, and I absolutely remember it was a long process for the, when the check came. Yeah. Yeah, like, cause it, and it's never split, you know. It's never right. like, hey, let's just split it. It's like, no, 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 I got this, I got it. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Let's. Uh, I'm sort of. You know the virtues of spam. <laughs> uh, let's see. You know that to use the finger method to measure the water for your rice cooker. This is actually an oh. Asian. Do you know this? No. So, when you're making rice in the rice cooker, you're supposed to measure it out by cups and everything. Uh-huh. But the right way to do it is you, you use your finger and your knuckle and you have to have water a certain distance above the rice. Mm. Like it's this, you, and you, you literally put your finger down in the water to make sure the, I see. and you just, and I'm always like, I remember my mom teaching me this method and I was just like, and she's white, but she learned it from Japanese people. But I was like, well, what if your finger is longer than other people and you don't get the right amount of water? Shouldn't you just follow the directions? But of course, it's like sacrilegious. works out. <laughs> no, okay. Now, here's one that really just blew me when I read it. You like to eat rice with spaghetti. So what? in my family, I've talked about this before. We ate rice, sticky white rice with everything. Yeah. And when we ate spaghetti, not only was rice on the side, it was a wall-to-wall 
foundation of, of sticky rice. And then the uh, spaghetti is on top. Oh my God. That's hilarious. So everything, if you, if <laughs> you had beef, rice. beef stroganoff, it was a, a, like a, a bed of rice. And then everything was on stew. If we had stew, it was on a bed of rice. So it's not Do you just remember my, my cousins side. in Colombia would, would like to eat white rice with ketchup. And I always hated that. But, but I, I, you know, I don't know why it was like a tradition to uh, just white rice, white rice with ketchup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see that the, the tang and the tomato, Yeah, uh, not for me, but, and this last one, bit of a downer, you know, that EO 9066 isn't a zip code. Do you know what that refers to? No. It's executive order. Oh yeah. 9066 signed by FDR to imprison my family members in 1943 or 42, 43 ish for years. My family members were imprisoned by the federal government because of racism Mm. and not a single one of people born in the United States thrown in. In fact, my uncle Shig and my uncle Harry um, and uh, so that's how you know that you're Japanese. So I thought it was a little fun, a little fun, little, do you know you're Colombian? And do you yeah. So what's the final word, Berto? Well, I think we've all learned a little bit about each other. <laughs> um, also, I think that uh, I'm going to be on time more after the pandemic. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Because I, I just, I think I'm old. I'm at the age now where I need to, overcome this cultural demon well i'll tell you that with the podcast in the beginning you would always be late but then i i would get upset occasionally and and you you know over our 13 years of doing the podcast you you've been solidly on time for like i don't know four years five years now yeah and so you definitely have it in you to make it on time yep you're definitely capable (laughs) <laughs> I'm guessing when you're when you go to work, you're on time. Yeah, yeah. It's just something about f- social gatherings that. Yeah, I mean, you saw it firsthand. I experienced it firsthand, but clearly, it's not just my family. My dad must have stuck out like a sore thumb. In fact, I know this because part of the reason he brought this up all the time, he would say this all the time: in the United States, you can't get away with this. You have to be on time. Da 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 da. Well, let's be on time for this wrap up. Everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it. And be on time because other people deserve (laughs) it. it. 